Who inspires you? We are in the book of Hebrews this morning, and these uh, readers, original recipients of this particular book, needed inspiration because they were, it looks like, uh, from uh, the book, they were probably in Rome. And having just been to Rome, I can understand why they were facing a lot of hostility. Rome is a place where you're so aware of the power of the Roman Empire and what it must have cost them to say, Jesus is Lord, not the emperor. And it did cost them a lot. So they are needing inspiration. They are needing encouragement. And so this sermon full of sermons basically is affirming the fact that Jesus is superior to every form and source of inspiration we have. Jesus is superior to angels, superior to Moses, superior to the prophets, superior to the Levitical priests, you name it, superior to Steve Jobs. Jesus is the source of all inspiration. And then you get to chapter 11, and I actually want you to take your Bibles out, if you would, and uh, out of the pew rack there, and turn to Hebrews. It's not an easy book to find. I always have a hard time finding it. It's toward the end of the New Testament. And if you look on page 226, you're going to get to Hebrews 12, which is where our couple of verses are. And you'll notice that the verses start with the word, therefore, and it's preceded by a chapter filled with examples of people who have lived in faith and hope, trusting Israel's God. Now, I think it's interesting that you've just been in a series, a six-week series on trust. I have heard from so many of you how much you have appreciated that series, how much it has fed you, how much it has been timely for you, that that really is the rock-bottom issue for you, is to learn how to really trust God. And doesn't it help to have examples, people who have walked in faith and hope and lived under a different kingdom than the prevailing powers and kingdoms of this world? And so chapter 11 picks up a bunch of illustrations from biblical history, all the way from the beginning, all the way through Abraham and Sarah and Moses and the prophets and the martyrs, and gives examples of people who have walked in faith and hope. And then we have these verses. And as we get ready to hear this scripture, and then I'm going to have us say it together, I want you to know that we are beginning a series today that's going to take us through the summer that is lifting up examples down through the ages in the church who are examples for us of walking in faith and hope as followers of Jesus Christ. We need them, don't we? So consider yourself in a stadium, because that's the metaphor here. We're being surrounded like a... Like being in a stadium surrounded by people that are cheering us on in the stands. And listen to this word of God, God, first of all, from, um, I'll read it, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and then I'm going to have you say it with me together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's say this together. Hear this word of God as we say it together. Hopefully by the end of the summer, we're going to have these verses memorized. Therefore... 
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. On who is it that helps you look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith? Perhaps it's famous people that come to mind who are an inspiration to you. Maybe it's not people that are so famous. Maybe it's people that are pretty public. Like right now, I'm sensing, and I've even heard it out of your mouths, you are so grateful for the leaders in this church who have helped you look to Jesus. In particular, I'm grateful for Josh, and I know you are too, an amazing leader who has helped us stay focused on the way of Jesus Christ and has led so brilliantly in these last six weeks. Ben Pierce, leading with him in pastoral care, but also in preaching and proclamation. Evan Chung and his ministry, which we will be celebrating after worship today. People actually that are called and have been called by this church and even paid by this church to inspire us to look to Jesus as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. But there's also people that are not so public that are an inspiration to us. I hear this out of your mouths as well. Bob and Carolyn Boynton, how they can move through the tragedy of losing two of their children to cancer with faith and hope. That's an inspiration. I think of Helen Dodds. I don't even know if you're here. Helen, are you here? Oh, yay! Helen, who faces chronic pain, but still has a good sense of humor and still is so loving and still has a smile on her face. You are an inspiration as well. So there's people that are famous that are an inspiration. Certainly Mary, the mother of Jesus, as you travel in Europe, you know, with the Notre Dames, and, you know, that is a well-known inspiration. She is a well-known inspiration. But there's other people who are not so famous, like a guy named Isidore the Farmer from the 11th century. Isidore the Farmer basically was just a campesino, a farm laborer, who was made a saint in the year 1622. He basically was a man who, he was married, they had uh, one child, uh, they lost their child, uh, died when the child was very young, their son, so they understood suffering and hard work and hard labor and sorrow, but he was a man who worshipped every day, then went to the fields, and even though he got there late, it is said that angels were out there with him, making his work even that much more productive. He was a man known for his generosity He was known for giving to beggars. He was known for welcoming the stranger. He was known for caring for animals. Who's heard of Isidore the farmer? But he is a canonized saint. He's an inspiration. He was then, and he still is an inspiration to so many that live such a common, ordinary life. Well, when I went to Assisi, walking in the footsteps of St. Francis and St. Clair, I knew a lot about St. Francis. You probably know about St. Francis. He's the most famous saint. More books have been written about St. Francis than any other saint. But you probably don't know anything about St. Clair. I didn't know much about St. Clair. And I want to say just a little bit about her. 
as uh, we move through this word together and then toward the table, the communion table. St. Clair was inspired by Francis. And if you know anything about Francis, he came from a wealthy merchant family and basically just take the picture of him taking off his clothes. That's the one that's well known. Because he basically set aside the wealth that he had, the privilege that he had, the position that he had. He was so in love with the way of Jesus and felt so compelled that that meant living like Jesus in poverty and serving the poor, that that's what he did. And it was all linked together in his way of following Jesus. And that was the way that he proclaimed, was the way of poverty. Well, Claire was even more wealthy than Francis, 12 years younger. She grew up in a family of nobility, and for women of that day, what they did when they were in families like that is that they were married off and matched up, but like about age 12, they would start doing the matchmaking. And basically, they were supposed to marry into wealth and bring more wealth into the family. She was not interested in that. She was interested, she had a heart burning for God. She had a mother that was very strong in her faith. She noticed the inequities and what was going on in the church and the, the seeking of power and position of wealth going on in the church and, and the wealthy and the poor, and she took food from their table and gave it to the poor. That was her heart. So you can imagine when she's watching this nutcase, Francis, who's taking, he was a nutcase, and he was taken off basically everything to follow Jesus and proclaim the way of Jesus, and she's noticing him because Assisi's not that big a town and listening to him proclaim the good news and she is lit up by this and she's like I want to do that and I want to live that way and she couldn't because women didn't have that choice they could join a religious community but they could not go the way of poverty they had to come with a dowry they had to have property to sustain them but she met with the Franciscans. She said she wanted to go their way. She snuck out in the middle of the night. This was 12-12. And basically, they made a way for her to be in a, in a religious community. But she spent her whole life standing up to popes and to cardinals and to the friars in order to have what she called the privilege of poverty, the privilege of having no privileges, the privilege of walking in the way of Jesus and living like him and basically living the ideal that Francis proclaimed and inspired, actually was inspired by Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who relinquished everything for the sake of love. And it came from her love and desire and zeal for God. Well, at one point in our pilgrimage, we went to this very small, we'd been in all these grandiose chapels, went to this very small chapel called San Paolo, Sao Paulo. And this was where Claire after she'd snuck out of the house on a Palm Sunday in 12-12 and made her way down to the Franciscans and they cut off her hair and put on her the rags of the Franciscan friars. She basically clung to the communion table when her family, her uncle and some of the knights from the palace where she lived came to talk her back into her senses and take her home. It said, no, I don't want to live that way. I want to follow this way. So we were in this little tiny chapel, and we were invited to gather around the table, the communion table, and to make our own recommitment, whatever that might be, to whatever vows we had taken. It was very, very moving for me. It snuck up on me. All of a sudden, I didn't know why I was crying. But I felt like when I first said yes to being a pastor, I said yes to a particular role of being a pastor. And that day, hearing Claire's story, 
in that chapel where she made her stand and her commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I was overwhelmed with this sense of wanting to say yes to the way of Jesus, to the way of taking off all the privileges and all the attachments and being willing to really walk the way of self-sacrificing love. And it was just extremely moving to me. I could have wept for hours. It was the high point of my whole sabbatical. One of the members of the team, the pilgrimage team, wanted to give me a gift. She's from the Sunnyvale Presbyterian Church, and she wanted to give me a stole. She wanted to buy a, one of these stoles that you wear. And I said, you know, we really don't wear stoles that often anymore. So what she did buy me was this chalice, and it's made out of olive wood. It's absolutely beautiful, but that's not why it means so much to me. It means so much to me because it's symbolic of the way of Jesus, this poured out life of love, not clinging to anything but God, and coming only to be poured out and spent and to give himself for the life of the world. That's what I said yes to, and that's what that chalice means to me. Well, I want to tell you one more story of something that happened on the sabbatical that I did not want to do. And I need to explain. I went to the National Prayer Breakfast. The National Prayer Breakfast happens every May. There are certain things about it that I like a lot. I like the fact that it's sponsored by the Service League and the Hope House women are there, this program that's helping women get clean and sober, stay out of jail. I like the fact that it's interfaith. I like the fact that we're gathering around prayer. What I don't like is that it tends to align the church with empire. And after having been in Rome, I can see with all these churches that are filled with statues of emperors and powerful popes and wealth that the church is still recovering from our alignment with empire and wealth and power. So I don't like that alignment. So to be honest with you, when I saw the invitation before my sabbatical that the prayer breakfast was happening in May when I was going to be on sabbatical, it's like, woohoo! I don't have to go to the prayer breakfast this year. Then I get a message, a voicemail from Karen Franconi, who's the director of Hope House. The voicemail is, Mary, really hope you can come to the prayer breakfast because we're giving you an award that we're going to present at the prayer breakfast. I'm like, are you serious? What is, what is that award and why am I getting an award and do I really have to go? Anyway, I talked to her on the phone and she's explaining to me that this is called the Ambassador Award and it's given because of your support for the Ministry of Hope House. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be in town. This is a good witness for the church. I'll go. I go. My name's in the program. It says that I'm a pastor at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. But I, it's okay. My name's in the program. Anyway, Karen Francone gets up there and gives this amazing tribute, not just to me. It was about what we are doing in supporting the ministry of Hope House supporting the mentoring program, sponsoring the training events here, including the Hope House women in our progressive dinner and in our uh, worship in the park, uh, the way that we've given $30,000 this last year, there were just so many things. And I was so glad that so many people that are part of that, the Naomi Kitajimas and the Scott McMullins and Phyllis and the graduates, Alona, uh, there are so many of you that are part of that. So this award was given to me with a standing O, and it actually goes to you. 
And I thought, as I heard what Karen was saying, I thought, this is what I want people to say about me and about the church, that this is who we are. But you know, the coolest part was that they gave me a chance to say it a little bit, and what I said was to the women and the men of Hope House, I said, we have so much to learn from you. We, the church, have so much to learn from all of you who are working the 12 steps about how to depend on God. That's what the privilege of poverty is. Poverty is oppressive because of the inequities in the world. But in the 12-step program, it's freeing because we all are proclaiming our complete dependence upon God. That's what 12-step does. Not only that, they admit they can't do it alone, that we need one another. We need the inspiration to support the prayers, even of the people we don't like. Hope House women are living with people they don't want to be with. There's people in this sanctuary you don't really want to spend time with. But we need one another, even the people we don't like. So, I want you to stand with me and let's say this scripture again. Because this is our calling, friends. Let's stand up together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. You may be seated.